Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at thebuglepodcast.com. That that bit's important. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a podcast from The Bugle. Catharsis, the process of releasing and thereby providing relief from strong or repressed emotions. Welcome to Catharsis, the podcast where I lend a friendly ear to some fellow comedians who need to get some issues off their chest. I'm like a therapist, but free and therefore completely unqualified. We will be digging into pet peeves, old wounds and unpopular opinions. You can sweat the small stuff with me. Before I intro my guest this week, I'd like to say, can we talk briefly about the feeling that I get this time of year? My five stages of Christmas, which are denial, it's not next month, is it? Anger, why have the shops been playing Slade since fucking August? Bargaining, can I convert to another religion? Depression, fuck it, no one's going to buy me a present anyway. And finally, acceptance, I'm up to the gills with turkey. And so what I'm hoping this year is to receive a truly crap present. I actually hope for this, so then I have new material in January, because I always like to talk about my terrible presents. So past corkers include the Christmas present I got from a boyfriend's mother. This was in my 20s, and uh, she bought me a minimizer bra for Christmas. (laughs) There are men listening to this going, minimizer, does that sound like something's getting smaller? Yes, my tits. She wanted my tits to be smaller. She's basically saying, strap them down, you whore. Merry Christmas. And it's like buying someone Spanx for Christmas or a diet book. Just fuck off. Um, I'd like to clarify, I did say 20s earlier on. Um, you know, and because I was in my 20s, I didn't really know how to deal with it. So I just broke up with my boyfriend. Which I think <laughs> was the only way to cope with an upsetting gift like that. And I, I'd like to clarify also for the listeners, I have an excellent mother-in-law now. Thank you for asking. So I am going to ask my guest about his worst present, but, but before I do that, I should introduce him. I'm a long-time fan of his comedy and his great hair. We started out about the same time, but I'd like to reiterate, we're still very young. <laughs> so uh, please welcome to the podcast comedian, fellow podcaster and Formula One enthusiast, Alfie Brown. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, it's lovely to be here. What did the boyfriend make of this minimizer bra? He didn't really get it. <laughs> I wouldn't be keen. 
<laughs> like if I was the boyfriend, could you, like if my mum interfering with my girlfriend's breasts, I would kind of hate that. Because much as I don't think about the, like the fact like, that I have any sort of possession, they're not my breasts. I'd have no ownership over them. However, like in the grand scheme of things, they are more mine than they are hers. So get your bra away from my girlfriend's breasts. It's certainly what I would have been thinking. I don't think he really understood. He was like, I don't understand. I was like, well, firstly, it's weird for your mother-in-law to buy you underwear. Mm. Full stop. Even if it had been sexy underwear, I'd be like, mm, have this so that my son gets hard this Christmas. Like, what are, what are you it's saying? Just a, it's a different kind of worse, isn't it? There's no, neither one is better or worse than the other one. I always found it with all the stuff that you seem to buy for your mum at Christmas is stuff that she uses when she's naked. Like I would buy my mum bath salts so she can have a nice, like, smelly naked time or, you know, it's all bizarre. How, why am I doing that? Why am I encouraging my mother to be naked and clean and relaxed? To open the podcast, what we like to do is ask our guest about an old grudge. So this is the section of the show where we attempt to, to feed you some gripe water so you can digest an old piece of anger. So it can be something that happened at your old work. It could be something that happened with a friend. It could go back to your school days. But is there a situation or something that's happened to you that you're like, oh, that's very frustrating. I'd like to get that off my chest. I feel like um, I need to be vindicated or I didn't win that. I wish I had. Share with me. I feel a lot of built up resentment uh, around many things. Uh but I suppose uh, I have a variety of resentments aimed at one particular area, which is when I was 18, 17, 18, and maybe 19, I was when I worked at uh, Topshop Oxford Circus, Topshop's flagship store, may it rest in peace. And I was a till boy and, you know, just general dog's body, stockroom bloke who in the stockroom is where, you know, when, you, when you've tried clothes on in Topshop, you hand them back to, you know, a little... Uh, a, a, a nook of elves and we all sort them back out into their requisite uh, places also it was much more difficult on my floor because it was the concession store so you had like Lipsy and TFNC <laughs> and Voodoo and all these other brands that we had to give uh, back to the kind of independent workers for each concession I resented being first of all made to feel enthusiastic about something like I kind of wanted people to be a bit more real with me and go, okay, so we've got our staff targets in our books here. And it was all the language that they constructed around the job that made me feel like, but why do you, at the end of every day, they would say, okay, can we do standards, please? Can we just get, can we get a few of you on standards? And I would go, do you mean tidy up? Because that, I'm more than happy to do tidying. You don't need to talk to me like this to make me think what I'm doing is more than tidying. I understand that it's tidying. Tidying up, it's fine. I'll do that. Finger space the hangers. And I'd love to finger space the hangers. I always finger. Even when I'm in a shop to this day, 35 years old, you know, uh, 17 years hence, I'm still finger spacing clothes when I go into a shop, whether they like it or not. Um, but that element of the the, the language around it um, and... Uh, other thing that really got to me while I worked there was um, having to give a celebrity discount. So that on the few occasions that I saw, uh, uh, sold clothes to, is Britney Spears' sister called Jamie Lynn? Jamie Lynn, yes, yeah. I served her and I sort of went, like, she's not. I said to my area manager, like, she's not even 
It's not even Britney. She's just celebrity adjacent. (laughs) We could give her half the discount. (laughs) She's not paying with her card, is she? She's paying with the kind of Spears family account. Uh, I had to give Rihanna a discount once. I had to give the boys from Westlife a discount once. So actually, I think the statute of limitations is out on this. But one time there was this very pretty girl. And I think probably pretty has something to do with it. I wonder if this is legal. We did these openings every now and again where the shop would be open for 24 hours. So it'd be open all night. It was 3 a.m. This girl came in. She had her card declined, trying to buy 400 pounds worth of shoes. And I saw the declined on the receipt come out and said, thank you very much indeed, and stuffed the uh, receipt into her bag. <laughs> and she left with £400 worth of shoes. And you were like, she was so pretty, you basically sugar-daddied her on top shops. Yeah, she was never going to come back. It was just, it was, it was, I think it was probably as close to a selfless good deed as I've ever come, even though, you know, she was pretty. But I didn't benefit <laughs> from that in any way, I suppose. That seems like a really early lesson in that, in that phrase, and I cannot remember who, who the quote's from, but it's free for those who can afford it, very expensive for everyone else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, and and it, that, I think it sort of set me up on a, a political trajectory, or at least early, uh, in my early years, cemented me with some ideals that I might not otherwise have had. Uh, the idea that there would be a celebrity discount, but uh, why don't we have like a, I'm really a struggling discount. And then yeah. for all the people who were really struggling, our concession to them was that we would try and sell them and were encouraged stri- uh, strongly with incentives, financial incentives for us to um, uh, sell them the Topshop uh, store card, which was a functional credit card that only accepted inside Topshop with very unreasonable rates of APR. And then <laughs> these little children would come along and I would try and botch the sales so you'd have to get on a phone to india and where the call center was and try and put through the person's information so when i was doing the phonetic alphabet i would try and make it as difficult as possible for whoever was on the other end so that it wouldn't go through and they wouldn't be lumbered with this debt so i would be on the phone going okay uh, so that it's uh, emma so that's um that's uh, uh, that's e for i <laughs> Her name's Paula. That's a P for pterodactyl. <laughs> I like this. I like that you're um, messing with the system so early on. What's interesting to me is that you were on shop floor and in, in the stockroom because I used to work at Dulcis. I think mm. I was 15 when I first got a job there. There was always this kind of line that stockroom people were like, they're in the back and they weren't allowed out onto the shop floor. And if you were a salesperson, so we had all of this sales speak as well. I don't remember standards, but there were targets. And I, one of my early lessons from this was that I um, I was like top Saturday salesperson. So I had to sell something like, this is in the 90s, like 1,500 pounds worth of shoes in a day. Once I'd yeah. hit that, like that, I would be top sales. But I didn't get any commission or anything like that for it. I was just like, I want to be the best. So my competitive spirit kicked in. It worked on me. But it meant that I never got promoted because they didn't want me to get to be the deputy manager or the supervisor or anything like that. Because they were like, well, we want her on the floor yeah, doing too sales. Useful sales. Yeah. That was an early lesson for me was like, oh, like I'm going over and above and like doing like as much as I can because I want people to think I'm the best and what happens yeah oh okay I won't get more money or more responsibility I'll just 
stay in the same bit. Yeah, like a soldier who's so good at killing, he never makes colonel. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly Stays what... <laughs> out there on the front line constantly. <laughs> this is interesting because I can see how this would have shaped a lot of who you are as a comic, you know. Have you spoken about that before? Have you done the work on that? Is that a cut, like a, a recent realization? The various resentments that I've harbored. And I remember, I remember going in and like walking past protesters. And it's amazing how like team spirit, even when you're not necessarily a fan of the team that you're on, the protesters protesting Topshop outside his kind of non-dom tax status and uh, workers' rights for factories in, you know, Malaysia, wherever it was. And I would walk in and they would go boo to us, the the little 18 year old shop workers. And I just remember thinking, you are idiots if you think that you should be booing us. Like people becoming pliable to the party spirit and not being able to see that that who the enemy is, just seeing it in these broad brushstroke terms and uh, unable to accommodate nuance into their anger. Yeah, their anger and their view of good and evil, as it were. I was on the baddies team. Little did they know you were bringing down the system from the inside. Yeah, man. I also uh, got in huge trouble once for uh, writing. I crossed out the word top on a lot of the plastic bags and started writing sweat. Oh. I got in big (laughs) trouble with my area manager, who I think uh, let me get away with it because she fancied me. (laughs) This is like uh, a Mark Thomas in training. Yeah. I shopped in there a lot. I remember that. I remember it being... The flagship. It's the flagship. Yeah. I, th- I thought you looked familiar. <laughs> Thank you for the shoes or boots or, or whatever the <laughs> yeah, 400 yeah, yeah, pounds yeah. worth you gave me. I really appreciate 400 it. 400 pounds of boots. Because I had a lot of places to go and a lot of club dancing to do. Um, that's fascinating. I could talk with you like a lot more just about that. Because I, I, I'm often fascinated by people's old jobs and how they became the person that they are yeah I think it builds a lot into you it it, it works it it becomes a lot of who you are it was the we used to have to stand at the bottom of the escalator as well and do meet and greet and that was just saying hello how are you welcome to top shot hello can you help with anything today like and it's just it's asking you to be could you go and be kind of sneered at and rejected and ignored and sort of like tolerated and nodded to and like, like you're like somebody, like, like you're doing speed dating and nobody's told you that you stink. Like it's <laughs> awful. It was such a crushing thing to have to do. But I suppose it, it kind of inoculates you to the worst elements of what stand up can be. Exactly. I was, a, I, I used to be a te- uh, tequila girl and sell shots to drunks oh in my bars. God, yeah. And so that. I definitely learned how to deal with heckles by doing that. I was like, co- like constantly getting grief. So I was like, slam, slam, slam. I've got to do this and try and sell something at the same time, which is stand up, right? I've yeah. got to deal with you and you and you, and I'm trying to sell something. I'm trying to sell the act. I'm trying to do the thing. So yeah. it's it all ends up being experience in the area you need. Thank you for sharing that. And do you feel do you feel a bit better now you've got it off your chest? I feel like we've talked through some things there. I feel like I possess a greater um, and more rounded self-knowledge and I'm excited about embarking upon the rest of my life with this (laughs) new perspective. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's time for us to uh, apply some topical cream. This is where we put a, some balm on a stingy news story that's got you all het up. What's an issue that's really getting to you? I think I'm quite terrified about the state of the rental market and houses generally. I'm not a homeowner. I'd love to be, but uh, it costs a pretty penny. House prices have gone down, but interest rates have gone up. So, you know, I haven't done the requisite maths, GCSE or AS level or whatever it is you need to be able to work out whether you're more or less fucked than you otherwise would have been. Like you're paying <laughs> a percentage more on the money that you owe, but there's less of it to owe, but it still works out as more. What? <laughs> Your generation has to do the maths with avocados. That's that's the rules, apparently. There is a, a wonderful um, Ivo Graham joke about that, uh, where he says, he, he talks about the house that he's just bought. It's in an old show, so I don't think I'll be kind of spoiling anything for anybody. Um, but he says that, uh, He's actually one of the few members of uh, his generation who can't afford avocados on him anymore because he spent too much on property. <laughs> well, I'm with you because we rent as well. So I'm a renter. Yeah. And then at one point we looked at sort of buying in Scotland, but also two, two self-employed people to, in spite of having paid, you know, the rent on the, I think I've bought my rental property twice over. At this point, we've no, I can't actually. I can't. I can't. I can't have that. That's so <laughs> upsetting. There should be a law whereby you go right after that amount of rent, you own it now. Yeah, yeah. Especially if it's twice over, because then you've covered the tax that he's paid on the income from it. So he's turned a profit, and yeah. you own it now. You pay for two more years, and it still goes to him, but you own it. Something should happen. It does make you feel physically sick when you sort of say that. And then my mum goes, oh, I worry about you wasting money. I was like, well, it's not wasting because it's a house. Like I can't view yeah. it as, as like waste because it's this is to have a home. But also, you know, I would like to be in somewhere bigger because, you know, my stepson is is now just, it's another man in the house. So it's like, he's fully got, he's 15, but he's giant. And uh, yeah. so, it's, so it's two men and me and the cat vomiting yeah i'm slowly coming to the realization that children get bigger and that means your house gets smaller because there's less space that isn't them in the house <laughs> yes. i remember reading a horror story when i was a kid it was called monster's blood and the thing the monster's blood he had in a tin but it just grew exponentially until it became like a council problem and then it became like a nation government problem and the monster's blood just grew and grew exponentially and they needed to know what to do with it I think they shot it into space in the end, but then it still kind of came back years later. Anyway, that's how I feel about the kids. In my, uh... 
Well, okay, if we blood. do ch- children's stories, I suppose James and the Giant Peach could now just be just like a heartwarming tale about a boy who gets to live in a free peach house mm. without paying any rent. This seems like a dream now, right? I'll live in the Giant Peach. Yes, I suppose it puts you in an interesting... If you live in a Giant Peach, ha- like in a cost of living crisis, how happy are you just to live there? And how much do you want to eat it? <laughs> like if you can't you've got somewhere to live but the more you eat of the place that you live the less you have a place to live but i suppose you could eat the innards make it bigger if you want to have a start a family oh my god we've got a whole new bedroom <laughs> yeah we're thinking about eating that wall through actually we're thinking about eating it through <laughs> i mean i don't know what the solution is because i feel like and and i think i probably Mr. Trick, because I was like, I should have, you know, we should have bought 10 years ago. I can't remember how long we've been in here now. It's 12 years, 13 years, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's balancing the thing of kind of going to self-employed people, then trying to get a mortgage and then having discussions with people. They were like, well, we've got to look at affordability. And you're like, yeah, so my rent's more than what a mortgage would have been. Yeah. My rent is actually more. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm a little bit older than you. So I'm like, oh, how how many years could I even get a mortgage for? Because, you know, people used to get them in their 20s, right? Yeah. I remember hearing Ronnie Golden's story about how he got his uh, mortgage. And he just went into his bank manager. When you had your your bank manager, was still somebody that could make decisions. And he goes, listen, uh, I want to buy a house. Can I borrow three grand? And he went, how much have you got? I've got a grand. Okay, that's enough. And how much is the house? Four grand. Right, great. Well, there you go. There's your money. There's your house. Lived in it 25 years. And I do feel sort of for my parents' generation, my parents both being homeowners, Yes. Like they have all this, they bought their first houses for four grand. So now they're worth like hundreds of thousands of pounds. So just sell it and give me some money. Like it's not, <laughs> it wasn't your talent that means that you have loads of, it was fucking dumb luck. And the fact that Margaret Thatcher threw money down t- into your beaks, like you were kind of a hungry pelican at a zoo <laughs> and you just absorbed it. And now you've got all this money. It's not yours. It's my money as well. It's just like you lucked out. It just happened in your bank account. You're not special. You didn't, you did earn it, but you didn't earn all of it. It's not, it just came with time. It was time earned it for you by the machinations of the market. I don't understand any of it, but I want some. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, we don't want to have to wait till you're gone till we can really appreciate the fruits of your labor. Or luck. The fruits mm. of your luck. Or the fruits of Margaret Thatcher's labour. Or, uh, <laughs> or, 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 or whoever it was. Reaganomics. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying anything that I'm really... But I, anyway, I feel kind of terrified because not all landlords are evil. A, a lot of them can be. And the whole sort of system around it and the, uh, the, the protections for tenants are not enough. But it's not like being a landlord isn't an inherent evil in and of itself. And there will be landlords who are paying mortgages back on the property that they rent out and then paying income tax on it. So if the mortgage they are on gets renegotiated and the percent that they're paying gets goes up and then, you know, they're obviously struggling through price raises, like they're going to have to put it up because they need to live. So then it becomes like rents become an element of like what how market forces are. But millionaire landlords, there just should be more controls over what landlord is yes well there's also i suppose a lot of people have done it in lieu of a pension and so yes. pensions being where they are and a, and a government refusing to sort of 
guarantee a, a triple lot. Well, cutting all benefits, you know, pension benefit, disability benefit, unemployment benefit, friends with benefits, um, all of it. No booty calls after midnight, right? <laughs> no yeah, triple yeah, yeah. lot. But but so so people don't have the traditional ways of kind of going, this is what's going to get me through my retirement. So for a lot of people, having a second income from a property was their way of doing that. And those people didn't even necessarily need to be super rich or or work in jobs that had, you know, if they just managed to get their first one early uh, and they could be in like service jobs, service industry, whatever it is, and kind of go, mm. well, this is my little bit of pension. And you sort of don't begrudge people that. I feel your worry. I feel I wear that. I feel I wear the rental situation. And also it's about home because you've got kids as well. You know, you're like... I need somewhere that's a home. I need somewhere that's big enough. It's not like when you're in your 20s where you're like, I'm sharing. I'm sharing a flat yeah. with like five other people, you know. Well, I am. <laughs> five, yeah. People, people, people that's that you've made. That's literally how many people I'm sharing a flat with. <laughs> but it's like a worry shirt that you put on. Yeah. Sometimes you forget and you go, oh, I've got this on now. and I And then I'll try not to think about it again. I'll just try and go out and make... And my solution seems to be hustle more, do some more, make some more money. But that doesn't yeah, yeah, yeah. solve the problem, right? Well, I mean, it, it, it does if it works, I suppose, and you make enough money. But I mean, like, well, my mum moved house recently and I said to her, mum, do you want to just like, I'm, I'm sorry to say this and it might not affect you, but would you mind moving a little bit higher above sea level? <laughs> because there's, there's every chance that the value of that property goes absolutely quite literally underwater uh, in, 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 in the next 50, 60 years. Like, you know, I'm not sure how good the Thames barrier is, but let's take chance out of it. Let's just, let's stick you up there on the top of Primrose, Notting, don't mind any of those hills really would be fine. That seems to be how anyone is, get a lot of people that I know are getting mortgages is, is, is if their parents are underwriting them. Or doing this kind of thing. Yeah, but how else? I mean, like there just isn't the money. Like it's no, there are loads of people who can't have that and don't have that. But for those that do, there seems to be a shame in the way that that would be the way it was. I would absolutely do that. So it's, yeah, it's just, I want you to live. It's like, it's not everything handed to you. It's just something that should be a fundamental right and much more pervasive than it is. I will afford yeah. to you, my son, my daughter. Yeah. My son, my other son. It's a lot of properties to buy for me, actually. <laughs> You're all sharing. I'm moving to, you know, uh, somewhere in the kind of north of Scotland in a little hut overlooking yeah. a lock. It's time for some oryx, which is historic beef. This is where we look at a historical argument, try and fix it like drunk history without the booze. And for this episode... I've chosen Elizabeth Taylor and Debbie Reynolds, who who knew each other at MGM. And Debbie was very enamoured with Elizabeth. She looked up to her. They were friends. In fact, when Elizabeth got married to her first husband, Mike Todd, Debbie was her maid of honour. And at this point, Debbie was already wed to Eddie Fisher and they had two kids, Todd and Carrie. Yes, that's correct. Carrie Fisher. So that union is responsible for possibly 95% of teenage bonus in the 80s. So big up Eddie Fisher and uh, Debbie Reynolds for that. Basically, the crux of it is Elizabeth and Mike had quite a tempestuous relationship. 
and they were always sort of fighting. In fact, in Debbie Reynolds' autobiography, she talks about them being in the den, all four of them hanging out, Mike, Elizabeth, Eddie, Debbie, and uh, Mike just leans over, hits Elizabeth Taylor, and uh, Elizabeth screams, hits him back, and then they just have this huge fight. And then she tries to break it up, Debbie Reynolds, and they're like, oh, don't be so such a Girl Scout, like chill out, basically. So everyone gets annoyed at Debbie for getting in the middle of this fight, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is insane. Eddie's like, they're just having a good time, leave them alone. And uh, and and she says, well, I was afraid he was going to hurt her. Eddie says, that's ridiculous. They were just kidding around. Debbie says, a man slaps her onto the floor, grabs her by the hair, pulls her out of the room. You call that kidding around. And Eddie says, what do you know about these things? They're just two people in love. In her autobiography, Debbie says, I think that was the beginning of him becoming disenchanted with our relationship. I was this kind of Girl Scout. I wasn't good in bed. He didn't think I was funny. And then what happens is Elizabeth has an affair with Eddie she breaks up Debbie and Eddie's marriage and then Eddie Fisher and Elizabeth Taylor get married. And so this is kind of a story about your best friend shagging your husband or your wife or getting, you know, screwing you over. It's hot stuff. Yeah. It's hot, hot stuff. No, it's a good story. And Debbie Reynolds actually responsible for a lot of my teenage boners. Uh, I was a big Singing in the Rain fan uh, and her performance as Kathy Selden have to say really did it for me good morning (laughs) good morning what i read about this debbie reynolds sent eddie round to console elizabeth taylor saying go over there and see that she's all right will you right is it naive or is it knowing like you know elizabeth taylor you know what eddie thinks of you you know the sort of relationship elizabeth's been in before you are not dumb surely like otherwise you just go around there yourself Surely, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think that was after Mike Todd died. So her first husband died. So yes, she did send him round there. But that does sound a bit like Debbie going, I can't be asked. This is a job for you. <laughs> yeah, that's another perspective, actually. And I, I hadn't. But also, I wonder if it is because Elizabeth responded so much to that masculine energy. Mm. I think it could have maybe been a slightly naive thing from Debbie. But that Elizabeth was like, she needs this male energy. She thrives off this kind of thing of, and kind of going, oh, my God, my friend has lost her husband. Yeah. Go round, see if she's OK. See if something needs fixing. It feels like that slightly 1950s, 60s housewifey. If she doesn't have a man in the house, what is she going to do? Right, 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 right. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that. She forgave Elizabeth Taylor eventually, right? She did. And Eddie. And Eddie, yeah. Debbie seemed to blame herself. And I, it makes me feel quite sad for Debbie, like kind of going, well, I wasn't interesting enough. And Elizabeth is like this star. And so I just, I would have loved Debbie to have a little bit more self-confidence to go, no, fuck you. I'm pretty great, actually. And I gave you two amazing yeah. children. If Jesse came back one evening and said, listen, I've been shagging Dominic West. I think my reaction would be kind of like, <laughs> well, like, I don't love it, but fair enough. You know, I can understand what might have made you want to do that. That's, you know, that's that's Dominic West. I have a lower opinion of myself, at least in terms of somebody to go to bed with, than Dominic West. He's like taller and cooler and darker and, you know, he's amazing. So that's, yeah, makes a bit of sense. So she might have just been, she, I think some people have that removal from jealousy where they can just sort of weigh things up and go, yeah, it was like it must have been quite hot as well because of the betrayal. Did the betrayal make it hot? I imagine the betrayal made it really hot. So that's fair. Um, 
because betrayal is hot, isn't it? Um, I, I, I know that. Um, uh, rather I, than it just being, I refuse to believe of Demi Reddle's mother of Carrie Fisher that she would have been so easily um, downtrodden. But maybe this is the lesson that she learned and maybe it was this experience that led her to become such a, a, a headstrong and funny character. I sort of agree with you. I get it on Dominic West. But unless there's something you're not telling me, I don't think you and Jesse have been hanging out with Dominic West and his wife on the reg, unless you have. So I would say it's probably more similar to Jesse coming back saying, I've slept with Ivo, maybe. <laughs> or one of your friends that you hang out yeah, with. Yeah, Does yeah, yeah. No, it? I guess. Does that well, change I mean, Because ma- you're like, Ivo's really funny and handsome and smart, you know. Does that change yeah. how you feel about that situation? <laughs> Yeah, no, I doesn't really. No, I, I still would get it, I think. I'd find it harder to deal with. I go, oh, no, that's like close to my life. But at the same time, I would just, I just would understand. Right. I just think like, you know, some people, like we're all imperfect and, you know, trying our, you know, not trying our best necessarily, but, you know, these things can happen to people depending on the nature or length of the affair and how duplicitous it had been and the, the you know, the nature of it. I, 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 I would take it on its own merits, if you're listening, Ivo. <laughs> it's a lot of, like, it's messy. It's a messy and drama. But back then it was messy and drama because if you were going to have an affair, most likely in Hollywood it was going to be within the circle of people that you're within because, A, you're famous, so you can't just go out and kind of meet someone in a bar and kind of, like, it's more likely that it would it would happen within that circle. It feels like quite incestuous because towards the end, when, you know, the other person that Elizabeth Taylor, her big romance wasn't even Eddie Fisher. So it's kind of like, it sort of feels when you say it that way, it's like kind of a marriage broke up and that wasn't even your guy. <laughs> that was just yeah, like yeah, a yeah. thing because it was Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor who were like rebound off each other and bounce off each other again. And then Richard Burton and Eddie Fisher became like great friends and there's one point oh, where right. where she's sort of with Eddie but she's shagging Richard and um I think Eddie goes around to confront Richard then they end up getting friendly Elizabeth calls the hotel room Richard answers the phone and gets mad on Eddie's behalf of like this man loves you so much you know like why are you doing this to him even though Burton is demanding that Elizabeth say that she's in love with him and they're together but he's like actually I really like him and this is a good man he loves you so much you know and like I've got a good mind to take him upstairs and fuck him myself <laughs> I mean like it's not it's not a simpler time is it but it certainly feels like it certainly feels like there are better autobiographies to be written <laughs> You know, Errol Flynn feels like a deeply unpleasant person, but Christ Almighty, there's some stories to tell. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I like how, um, is sanguine the word I'm looking for? You're very understanding, you know, um, and sometimes I'm just like super judgmental. But actually, you know, I guess the thing to do is to put yourself in in the shoes of the person like you have, you know, that's empathy. I think what gets downplayed a lot of the time with, stories from as recent as the 50s is that we think that they were in a similar a similar enough cultural kind of moral landscape that we can judge them by our own standards but it was mental it was it was you know people had only stopped fighting on horseback within the last 
you know, few decades. <laughs> it's it, you're just off the back of two world wars, which like if you think about how much COVID fucked with us, like these are world wars, like uh, famines, like uh, uh, recessions worse than anything we've had to deal with. And then suddenly culture and life is something so fragile feels like it might go away again at any moment because you've got the scepter of nuclear war looming over everything and it feels like a very real and recent possibility so like moral standards in a 21st century sense don't really feel like they can be applied to those people <laughs> yeah well that's a great um great argument for like retrospectively cancelling people for this kind of stuff oh yeah 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 yeah. and actually to give debbie credit i'm thinking there that early experience of seeing elizabeth and mike get into a fight and they're all like it's just a you're being dramatic it's just what we do and she's like oh no he's a dude he really whacked her then there's maybe a part of her that's like oh i want my friend to have some happiness so i guess if it's going to be with eddie and it's not working I know in my heart that he doesn't see me that way. I would like her to be with someone who's not going to backhand her across the room. And that's a very mature, makes me like Debbie Reynolds more. If it was even possible. Yes. Before we wind up, we get listeners to send in an issue and I call it angry aunt because I am supposed to get angry on their behalf. Yeah. So this has been sent in from Queen of Uncool. One hedge down my road is overgrown eight months of the year. No wheelchair access on paving. Find out it's too let. Hassle the estate agent. They say it will be cut next week. It never is. It's been ages. I take a walk with a piece of bush branch full of thorns and I give it to estate agent. They've moved office. So this is someone taking direct action there. (laughs) When the estate agent hasn't responded, they're like, okay, let me just give you a... I'm going to bring you this bouquet of thorns. (laughs) Very biblical. I like that a lot. They turn up and the estate agent has moved office. So, yes, uh, immediately I'm going to get angry for you because fuck estate agents. Yeah, they're very good at putting up signs outside your house and very bad at taking them down. After they have done with you that persistent and badgering nature they have where they're so willing to extract every coin out of your pocket that they they hardly even want to put the phone down before they've picked it up again to uh, pest you about, you know, renting out your property or selling something or buying something or whatever it is, your business. But as soon as there's something that they could do uh, that would enhance the community spirit, like taking down a board or trimming a bush, which they are in the little kind of moment of responsibility for, uh, they can't. I don't know what the solution is, though, apart from to trim the bush yourself and then send them the sort of detritus. And again, it depends on where you go because we deal with like a very small sort of family run. It was quite funny, actually, when they showed us our place, it was such a young kid. He was like 17 years old and he showed up and showed us round. And then <laughs> there was a, you know, those those little like in the bathroom sort of next to the toilet, sometimes they have the round ring that has a, a cup in it for your toothbrush, those. Yeah. So as he was showing, this is how young he was and how much he he just didn't know anything. And I was like, just let us go into the property. Like, because you'll know, you go, yeah, that's right. That can work for me. He went, and there, there's a coffee cup holder here for you. <laughs> <laughs> in the bathroom. <laughs> Uh, 
and we've never forgotten it. Like it's the just hilarious. Like you're going in for a shit. Make sure you take your coffee for the coffee cup holder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's you might as well have just like swung the door open and gone. I'll wait outside because that's how useful it was. You know, trying to do the big sell on the property with that. I mean, trying to get anything done just seems to take years and years. Because when you go through estate agents, especially if you're renting, you've got to go the estate agent and then they go, oh, no, we need to run this past the landlord. And then it seems to go five steps. And you're like, guys, I haven't had uh, hot water for a week now. So what's happening? But they are like not the they're generally quite cool to deal with. And they were cool during the pandemic and stuff. They're pretty they're pretty decent. But there's so many sharky ones out there. Is it Black Cats? which is like yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. feels like a market trader. You go in, they're all wearing leather jackets inside, like during the <laughs> summer. <laughs> I've got a property on Archway Road for you to have a look at, Gail. Do you want to... Uh... Yeah, and they're always cheaper than everywhere else, those properties. And I don't know why. And it must be, I want to know the reason why. Otherwise, I think I would have lived in one by now. Why is people letting you have cheaper properties than anybody else? Why can you afford this? Where have you cut the corners? Is it in the actual property or are you doing this because you just love hanging out in a kind of glass fronted office? What's going on? I couldn't trust it at all. I remember getting shown around a place and they went, I went, okay, so you get, where you get your money from? The the people looking for the property, they get your money and we get, who gives you money? Oh, but I get money, like a percentage from both parties. What? Why? Why do people, what? Surely it should be the person like not the person giving the money to live somewhere that pay you. It should be the, you sell the property and you get a percentage of that. Not you like get somebody from something that you, you managed to find a seller. What? Why are you getting that money? It's like giving money to the car for being sold. It's not, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Thank you for uh, coming on the podcast, Alfie. Before you go, is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, if any of you are fans of Formula One, which there's no reason why you would be, but you might be, I have a Formula One podcast called Dirty Air. I'm Alfie Brown, comedian on Instagram, and all of the information about all that I do goes out there. So please follow me on the Instagram. It's the best way to keep a rest of my moves. And also, Alfie has some shows at Soho Theatre next year, I believe. Um, oh God, so you yeah. could book Good tickets point. for those. Yeah, um, I think well Alpha's on in February and I'm on in May. So if you're interested, go check out Soho Theatre's website and grab some tickets to those. If you've enjoyed the podcast, give us a nice rating on iTunes. That would be a good thing to do. And um, on Spotify. And on Spotify. You see, I forget to say these things. Thank you, Alfie. They're the two main ones. Spotify. Fucking rate and review. Leave nice rates and reviews. It really helps. Yes, Thank you very much for coming on, uh, getting stuff off your chest. I hope you feel a little bit better for airing it today. Um, I feel better. I've laughed a lot. So that, for me, is is therapy. I feel lighter than air. I feel like I'm about to float downstairs and look after my two-year-old with all the required patience and love in my heart uh, that I've uh, developed (laughs) over the course of this very cathartic uh, experience. He's no longer comedian Alfie. He's dad Alfie. So I will let you go. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thank you very much. Goodbye. You can listen to other programmes from The Bugle, including The Bugle, The Last Post, Tiny Revolutions and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.